Good morning, sports fans, bettors, and cappers, and welcome to the Daily Competitive Hedge Podcast. I'm your host of the show, Kenneth Cotterell, and thank you all for joining me here today as this sport, this show is all about sports and the world of betting. We talk about a few results from yesterday's games and headlines, as well as get into today's slate, talk about what games are actually happening and which ones we are betting on. But our episode today is brought to you by our sponsor, Bet99. Bet99 is a Canadian sportsbook and casino that offers in-play betting, player props, a cash-out option, and many, many more great products. There's a variety of sports to bet on, and it works smoothly on both desktop and mobile. The Bet99 mobile app can be downloaded from the homepage of the website. The website can be viewed in both English and French, and customer service is available 24-7 with their live chat option. So go to bet99.com today to make an account. Use promo code SHOOTERS when doing so, and be sure to gamble responsibly. You must be 19 plus years of age, and it is available to persons in Ontario only. So let's talk about last night's bets. Uh, We cashed the parlay, although not at the value that we were hoping for. The Tottenham draw no bet. Let's be honest, we were fortunate to hit it. Uh, Tottenham scoring the late uh, tying goal 2-2 versus Chelsea. But we did get the San Diego team total over 5.5. They win 6-0. And then we also got the Houston run line versus Oakland. Uh, 5-3 was the total there. But that means that plus 230 was what the parlay cashed at instead of closer to the plus 500, plus 600 range that we had. As far as other straight-up bets, tough day on that front as the Czechs and Latvia, they finished 5-2, to two and we were on the under 6.5. Uh, Toronto and Cleveland, under 7. They finished 7-2. to two. The ninth-inning home run by Cleveland was what pushed it over to the top. And then the Minnesota Lynx, they lose by 7 to the Connecticut Sun, and we were plus 6.5. So a lot of narrow losses yesterday, but we are looking forward to today's slate and talking about some of those results. So yesterday we also had the Raiders and Vikings. It was 26 to 20 on the MLB front. We also saw the Reds. They won eight to five versus the Chicago Cubs. Uh, then we also saw uh, the Rays. They won four to one over the Orioles. Rasmussen went eight and one third inning pitch with seven Ks. He lost a perfect game in the ninth inning. So very close to history there with Tampa Bay. The Mets won six to nothing versus the Phillies. Bassett went five innings with five Ks. Then you had the Braves. They won three to one versus the Marlins as Tyler Matzek picks up the win in that one. We had the White Sox. They won five to three over the Tigers. The Royals finally beat the Dodgers four to nothing. The Dodgers winning streak is over as well as their run line streak as well. Then we had the St. Louis Cardinals. They beat the Brewers six to three. Uh, you had the Texas Rangers 5-3 to three over the Seattle Mariners. You had the Diamondbacks 7-4 to four over the Rockies. Uh, then you had 8-7, to seven, the Giants beat the Pirates. 4-2, to two, the Angels beat the Twins. And the Red Sox blanked the Yankees 3 to nothing as Michael Walker goes 7 innings, no earned runs, and 9 Ks. Now the FedEx St. Jude Championship, that also happened yesterday with Will Zalatoris beating Sepp Straka in a playoff. Now, as far as our bets go for that tournament, we're very close to having a really great week, but instead we finish with a small profit. Now, Xander Shoffley and Cameron Young, those are both our winner picks. As we said yesterday, 
they likely were not going to do so, and neither was that able to make a Sunday push. But we did have Tony Fee now. He finished top 10 at plus 220. Sungjae Im missed by one shot at plus 320. Should have taken him at the top 20 instead. And then Sam Burns, he cashes his plus 139, while Max Homa faded on Sunday. So just shy of a unit profit for the golf front, but nonetheless, a good weekend on the links for us. Then we had the Connecticut Sun. They beat the Minnesota Lynx 90 to 83. Uh, you had the Liberty. They won 87 to 83 over the Atlanta Dream. So the Liberty get into the playoffs. You had the Mystics 95 to 83 over the Fever. There was no playoff implications with that game. So one that we weren't really monitoring. The Aces win 109 to 100 over the Seattle Storm. Chicago beats Phoenix 82 to 67. And then the Dallas Wings, they win 116 to 88 over the LA Sparks. Now, EPL wise, Nottingham Forest, they pick up the one to nothing win over West Ham. Very easily could have been a draw if Nottingham Forest keeper did not make a penalty save in this game. A lot of very close chances as well in that second half. So uh, if you're on the under two and a half, you're thrilled. If, if you're on the one to nothing, then you're also incredibly thrilled. Now, the game of the day had to be Chelsea versus Tottenham. It wasn't just the game itself. The managers got into it. As soon as the game was over, they both got red cards. We saw some fortunate plays for Tottenham, let's be honest. Uh, Chelsea, they opened up the scoring. Uh, then Tottenham, they get a chance that questionable whether it was a foul prior. I think that he got the ball first, but they then go down and score to make it 1-1. Chelsea makes it 2-1, and then... VAR rules out a hair pull from one of Tottenham's players and Harry Kane capitalizes on the ensuing corner kick two to two is the final Tottenham has to feel very fortunate for that draw as they got outplayed the entire day now with that let's go over and talk about today's bets what games are on the slate and which ones we are betting on now on the MLB front Tigers and Guardians you got Hutchinson and Savale not sold on either one of these guys. I mean, it's very clear when Hutchinson's one and six with a 4.45 ERA. And then you've got Saval, who's two and five with a 6.05. Not great pitchers today. This is a part of our betting card that we'll talk about in a little bit. The Padres, they're minus 135 today versus the Marlins. They've got Musgrove on the mound, who's been one of their better pitchers this year. Unfortunately, he's taken on Sandy Alcantara for the Marlins, who's 10 and 5 with a 2.01 ERA. So that's a part of our betting card in a little bit. You got Syndergaard and Minor going at it with the Phillies minus 190 on the road against the Reds. I do like the Phillies uh, with Syndergaard going. Not one of our official plays, but one of our leans early on today. Then the Tigers and Guardians, they'll square up a little bit later on as well in the second game of a doubleheader today. You got Stroman and Gray going as the Cubs take on the Nationals. The Cubs are minus 140. Don't love this game. The Nationals, they won a game against the Padres. The Cubs, I'm not sold on either. So I'm staying away from this one altogether, including the over-under eight that's there. Then Tampa Bay and the Yankees, they square off today. It looks like Garrett Cole is going to be going for the Yankees. Still waiting to see who the pitcher is on the Rays side of things. Then you got the Blue Jays minus 155 versus the Orioles. Kikuchi versus Bradish. I like the Jays today, but staying away from this one as they've been very inconsistent as of late. They've only won three of their last 10, so I'm staying away on that game. 
Then you got the Braves. They're minus 150 versus the Mets. You got Strider versus Carrasco. I do like Carrasco a little bit more in this matchup, but Strider's been solid as of late. So once again, not going to bet on this game. Royals and Twins, you got Bubik and Ryan. I do like Ryan a little bit more from a pitching perspective. Um, They are uh, pretty much straight up at home as well. Um, So I do like the Twins to win that game. Rangers, they're minus 155 versus the A's. You got Otto versus Caprilin. Uh, I tend to lean Rangers in this one. Not a big A's guy at this time of year. So I tend to lean the Rangers in that game. The Dodgers, will they bounce back after losing? They take on the Brewers. You got Urias versus Peralta. Urias with the big advantage here, um, but I'm staying away from this game altogether. The over-under 7.5 worries me as well. As much as I like the under, that is a pretty small line. And then you got the Astros and White Sox. Cueto versus Yerquity. Uh, I like the Astros today, but staying away from this game until a little bit later on as they don't have first pitch until just past 8 p.m. Eastern time. Then you got Castillo on the mound for the Mariners against Shohei Otani, probably the pitching matchup of the day. I don't love this game because I do think Seattle's the better team, but anytime Otani's on the mound, I get a bit concerned, so I'm going to stay away on that front. And then I like the Giants today. They're minus 175 versus the Diamondbacks at home. Cobb versus Bumgarner. I think Cobb is the better pitcher. And so I'm going to lean the Giants there. Not a far a part of our official card, but nonetheless going to be watching that game intently. And then the last one today that we're keeping an eye on is Liverpool versus Crystal Palace. Now, not only do we have the Bet99 boost that we played, which had Kevin De Bruyne and Mo Salah both to score, De Bruyne followed through on his on Saturday. So we need a Mo Salah goal today to cash a plus 325 value. So we're very hopeful on that front. But Crystal Palace coming off the Arsenal loss. Liverpool, they drew Fulham last week. So this game, I'm going to be watching intently. Kickoff is 3 p.m. Eastern time. And then when we're talking about the World Juniors, uh, we have a few exciting games today. Canada and Finland, you got Austria and, and the Swiss as well. So going to be a very busy day of sports. But let's get into the early hedge five. Why you're all here, which is our early five betting plays for the day. And so let's get right into it with Liverpool only team to score versus Crystal Palace at minus 134. I really do think that Liverpool are going to win this game handily. I think they're going to look a lot better at the back than they did against Fulham. Um, You know that Klopp was very upset after how they played in that first game. They were down one nothing, gave up a penalty in the second half as well. I think they clean it up today. As much as I liked what I saw from Palace against Arsenal, I just think it's very tough to go into Anfield and score. And so I see Liverpool winning 2-0, 3-0 tight finish today. They get the clean sheet. Hopefully we get that Salah goal as well to cash the super boost that we had there. And that's our first play of the day at minus 134. Then Canada minus 1.5 versus Finland at minus 107. It was at plus 100 last night, but has since moved. I just think this is an underwhelming Finland team compared to the teams in years past. This Canada team has dominated throughout, whether it's McTavish, Bedard. This is a good Canada group. And so I think they win by a couple goals today. I see five to two, maybe five to three finish here for this game. Then Austria plus two and a half versus the Swiss today at minus 116 was minus 112 last night. I just don't like the Swiss. And I think them being heavily favored is a little bit premature. Um, Austria, they've competed hard in every game. I think they keep it within a goal or two. 
And so I'm taking the Austrians to keep it close. Then you got Detroit and Cleveland. Over-under is 8 at minus 130 right now. Aaron Savale and Andrew Hutchinson. Let's face it, I don't think either of them are great. Last five starts, Hutchinson's given up 14 earned runs on 25 innings pitched, while Savale only has the one start since July 13th, and prior to that was not pitching very well. So I see this game being high scoring. One of the pitchers is going to get blown up early, and so I see a game closer to the 6-4-7-5 finish, and so I like the over 8 today. And then to cap it off, the Miami Marlins money line versus the San Diego Padres at plus 115. I'm not going to overreact to San Diego beating the Nationals yesterday 6 to nothing, and say that they're back. They still haven't played great baseball over the last month or so. And so I think that Miami, with Alcantara on the mound, he's an absolute wagon. I mean, he's pitched 166 innings already this year. And the Padres, as I said, haven't been great uh, recently. Musgrove was good in his last start, but the one prior he gave up six earned runs. So I think it's a close game today, but Miami pulls it out with their ace on the mound. But thank you everyone for listening this morning. If you're listening to the audio version of the show on Apple or Spotify, stay tuned as we have our Jacksonville Jaguars preview show with Thaddeus Bell from the Off the Ball Network. It was a great discussion about the Jaguars. How's Trevor Lawrence going to look in year two and some betting lines as well. Welcome back to the Competitive Hedge Podcast. It is August 15th, which means our 15th NFL team preview is upon us. Yesterday, the discussion was all about the Indianapolis Colts, who are the favorites to win the AFC South, according to Vegas. And today we stay in the AFC South division to talk about the third team from this division, that being the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now I'm joined today by one of the best football minds that we have over at the Off the Ball Network. He co-hosts with friend of the show and Falcons preview show guest Jelani Brown on the What the Game Means to Me podcast. But most importantly, he's a Jacksonville Jaguars fan. That's Thaddeus Bell. Thad, how you doing today, man? I'm doing good, man. I appreciate you having me on the show. I'm pretty sure this is my first time, so excited to talk ball with you. Excited to talk about the Jaguars and what the future holds. Definitely. It's going to be a fun discussion today. Uh, maybe not talking about last year, but there is a lot to look forward to this year when it comes to the Jags. So let's talk about that 2021-2022 recap as we've been doing every single episode on the show. 13 or 3 and 14 was the record last year for the Jags. Now, the Jags were a bit of a circus last year just with everything happening with Urban Meyer, who was fired after their 2-11 and 11 start and made some questionable off-the-field decisions, I guess you could say, uh, that were made very public. And so they opened up 0-5. They did beat Miami. They also had the upset of the year beating the Buffalo Bills, which I'm sure a lot of betters were a tad disappointed with. But they did also knock off the Colts as well late in the year. So Thad, what did you think of, of the Jags season last year? Obviously, you had Trevor Lawrence, the rookie, coming in, the highly touted rookie, number one overall pick. So what did you think of the Jags season last year? The entire season was just a disappointment. You know, when you bring in a guy, your franchise quarterback, you want stability around him. You want structure um, in the front office with the coaching staff, and we got none of that. Um, Urban Meyer was a complete dumpster fire pretty much. You know, he didn't really know what he was doing. A lot of people were skeptical going in. I was ready to give him a shot, but – just didn't plan out right. Um, your first year when you have a, a rookie quarterback, you want to help him grow as much as you can. And if anything, his growth was stunted. He didn't go anywhere. Like this is really his year one, in my opinion. Um, a lot of inconsistency, like you said, like we beat the Bills in nine to six defensive shootout, but then we lose to the Seahawks 31 to seven without Russell Wilson and Geno Smith, the quarterback. So it was just really 
roller coaster ride all season. We were very inconsistent. Um, and sometimes we we look formidable, like a, a solid team that can compete, and sometimes we just look like we didn't belong. We were one of the worst teams in the NFL, which we were. Um, just a lot of up and down, you know, from your coach after your Thursday night game in Cincinnati, he goes home because he's right around the corner to go, I don't know, have an affair, do whatever he does at his little bar that he owns. Um, just everything. Us, the guys we hired, Derek Bevel, who was bounced around the league a lot, Brian Schottenheimer, Brian Schottenheimer, our two offensive guys, they bounce around the league. They haven't really stayed in too many spots. So for those to be your first two hires for Trevor Lawrence weren't the best. Um, obviously, my expectations are different from this year. But this year, last year, was just a complete – Dumpster fire. I didn't know what I was going to get. Um, at one o'clock every Sunday afternoon, I just tuned in, just looking to cheer for my team. Didn't expect much, and that's what I got. Nothing. So, I think 2021 was as worse as it can get. I think it was worse than the previous season when we had mentioned we only won. We won our first game and then lost uh, 15 in a row. So, yeah, there were there were certainly higher expectations than than obviously the Minshew year, as you said. Um, but it didn't live up to what I think Jags fans were hoping for. Not that they were expecting like, oh, we're going to the playoffs with Lawrence in year one, but they were hoping for maybe a little bit better. And the whole Urban Meyer situation threw that into into limbo throughout the year. But there were some offseason moves that the Jags went out and made. Obviously, in the draft, they did have the two first-round picks, including the number one overall pick. They go out and get defensive end Trayvon Walker out of Georgia. They also get Devin Lloyd, the linebacker out of Utah, at 27. So, we're expecting the defense to be a bit improved. Then you go out, you sign Christian Kirk uh, on a four-year, $72 million deal to get Trevor Lawrence another weapon. And then at tight end, you also bring in Evan Ingram coming off a tough year with the Giants, but maybe has some football left in him. So what did you make of the Jags offseason? Were you impressed with some of the moves that you guys made? Uh, yeah, man. We we always spend a decent amount of money, and those guys usually never hit. But this year, I have a good feeling. Uh, we hit a lot of key positions. Um, linebacker, we lost Miles Jack and we got the guy from Atlanta. I can't even say his name. Um, Foy said something. He had he had over 100 tackles, so he's a sideline to sideline type guy along to add him with Devin Lloyd. Um, we got Brandon Sheriff to share up the offensive line. Um, a Pro Bowl and former All-Pro from the football team for the Commanders. Christian Kirk, we overpaid a little bit, but we needed um, another receiver in the in the wide receiver room after we let go uh, of DJ Chark. So I, I like all the moves. Evan Ingram, like you said, like he's had some bad years. He's inconsistent. Every Giants fan I know hates him because he drops a lot of passes, but there's potential there. You know, you just got to work on the small things that hopefully with Trevor Lawrence and Press Taylor um, and Doug Peterson, he can find his groove. But I love all the moves. Honestly, even Darius Williams bringing him in to be the slot corner um, in between um, Tyson Campbell and Shaquille Griffin. Um, who else am I missing? And then, like in the draft, you said Devin Lloyd is going to be our Sam linebacker. Um, Trayvon Walker is going to be a starter from day one. And then a later round got it. A lot of people don't know about Chad Muma. Um, he had a great preseason debut. So I'm looking for him to be that third linebacker. Um, so I, I think we made a lot of good moves. But, you know, it look, we say this a lot. It looks good on paper, but how are they going to perform on Sunday? So I like where we're headed. Um, I do like the moves, but, you know, we got to see how it pays off. And the year – the difference between this year and other years, I think we've gotten guys that can play. They've shown they can play. There's no wild card. Like maybe they're not all pros or pro bowlers, but they're solid plug-in players. They're going to help, and they're better than what we had in the past. So I definitely like our moves. I'm going to be honest. I, I like the off-season moves. Yeah, I really like the off-season. I, I know that I poke fun a lot on Twitter, especially about the Christian Kirk contract, but we are talking about a guy last year that led the Cardinals in receiving. He was almost a thousand-yard receiver. So. He's no slouch, and now he's going to come in and be the number one, whereas over there he was probably considered the number two behind D-Hop, possibly even number three option at times. So I think what most Jags fans are looking at for year two, 
is how's Trevor Lawrence going to look in year two? Now, he's coming off a, a disappointing rookie year where he threw for just over 3,600 yards, 12 TDs, 17 interceptions. So I think a lot of people are hoping that he's kind of got through some of those mistakes and bad throws that he made. But as we said, they bring in a guy like Christian Kirk. He had Marvin Jones, who led the team in receiving last year, just over 800 yards. Um, you bring in Ingram, you still got some other guys there. So what would you consider a successful year for Trevor Lawrence in year two? Like, what are some of the things that you're going to be watching? I know that you're a former player of that position. So what are you thinking uh, overall for Lawrence in year two? Um, Overall, you know, stats, it would be nice to improve his stats, but we don't really care about all that. We care about wins and progression. Um, Just some of the small things, you know, being a little bit more decisive. Sometimes he'll hold the ball in the pocket. Um, In college, you know, those windows are a little bit bigger than the NFL, so you have to be a second quicker in the league. Just he he. Uh, he hesitated a lot last year. I would say some of that may be from the game plan they had. He wasn't completely sure um, what they had going on. I don't know. It was a lot of things, but just working on accuracy uh, things, which, you know, all quarterbacks work on. He missed a lot of easy throws last year. Um, sometimes let the rush get to him. All, all the small things, you know, he has some good moments, but he has some really bad moments. Like he led the league in picks besides him and Matthew Stafford led the league in picks. So, um, I mean, I would just say accuracy – being more sure of himself because you have to be decisive at the quarterback position. You're making, you're making, you touch the ball every play. So you have to know what you're doing to feel confident about what you're doing. And when a quarterback's not confident, it shows. Um, and it's sometimes actually he wasn't confident. He was gun shot, but a lot of that I think happened with, you know, us losing DJ Chark in the fourth game of the season. So Marvin Jones and Jamal Agnew were our two top receivers pretty much. Chanel here and there was good, but we didn't really have a great supporting cast. We brought Dan Arnold in from the Panthers, but he was okay. He got hurt. So, just, I think, improvement in accuracy. Um, he looked good in the game. I know he went six for 12, but there were some drops and some, you know, some stuff that here and there. So I would just say the biggest thing is accuracy and being decisive. Uh, he has a lot more weapons to choose from. That's why I was, when we were talking about fantasy, it was, I was like, I don't know how I'm going to take because we got Kirk, we got Marvin Jones, we have Zay Jones, we have Evan Ingram, Chanel might touch the ball a little bit, and Travis Etienne is going to be big out the backfield catching the ball. So it's only one football to go around, but we'll have a lot more options and a lot of people will be able to separate this year. That's one other thing I didn't add. Um, I know most of it's on him. The quarterback gets most of blame, but he gets the fame when you win too. But we didn't, our receivers did not separate last year. They didn't make it easy on the quarterback. And in the league, you know, those windows are already tight. So when the DBs are blanketed all over the receiver, it makes you have to be that much perfect. And as a rookie, his accuracy struggled. So I think the addition of receivers, Press Taylor and Doug Peterson, who's played the position, who won, even though he won as a backup, he won as a player and a coach. So I think that's really big for um, this jump that Trevor Lawrence is going to take in year two. Yeah, I agree with you. I think the accuracy thing is just going to be the big thing for him in year two. And as you said, bringing in the new weapons, that's going to help him for sure. Um, And he's going to be in a bit more of a stable situation. Like a lot was made, obviously, the Urban Meyer situation. But when you're coming in and you've got that sort of stuff going on, like it can be a major distraction and it can make things difficult for a guy that played at a, at a great college program. And now you're thrown into this whole mess with, with Urban Meyer. So I do expect a much better year from Lawrence. I think he's going to limit the turnovers, uh, maybe throw some more touchdowns as well. And, and ultimately, that leads to more wins when your quarterback back is playing a lot better. So um, we're talking about wins. I mean, when you get into the over under win total, as far as the betting side of things goes, because we're not going to touch on the Jags winning the division or anything like they're plus 700. It's a bit of an outside shot unless Lawrence absolutely lights it up. Then they're probably looking more so at the second, third spot in the division. But 
The over-under win total at six and a half is one that I think Vegas got bang on because I can see this being a six or seven win team very easily this year. So given in the division, you get Houston twice, you get Tennessee and Indy twice as well. And then you also get the AFC West and uh, the NFC or AFC West and NFC East. What do you think of the Jags schedule and what do you think of that win total line overall? Yeah, man, the schedule, uh, I wrote down the wins and losses. I don't have all the games in front of me, but I have us winning seven or eight games this year. Our schedule starts off a little, we have football team first, and then we have the Colts at home, which we dominate against. But then there's like a stretch where we play the Raiders, the Chargers, the Chiefs, and the Ravens. So those are four L's back-to-back. I'm not even going to play about that. But I'm feeling good. Maybe I'm a little bit more op- optimistic. You know, I do this sometimes. Some seasons I don't believe, some I do. Um, but I have us I have us going – I have us going eight and nine. Um, okay. Some of those wins are questionable. You know, uh, at the end of the season, I have us beating the Titans, the Lions, and the Texans. I have us sweeping the Texans and splitting with the Colts and the Titans. Uh, we usually don't do well against the Titans, but this year I think we're going to get one off of them. Um, and I think the difference between last year and the years previous, we're going to win the games we're supposed to win. I know we're a bottom five team as of now. You know, hopefully when the season's over, we won't be there. But, like, the games against the Lions or the Jets, um, the Texans – yeah, I expect us to win those games. Um, but different coaching, the coaching matters. You know, those little adjustments that will be made in critical parts of the game, where it, whether it's the last couple minutes of the second quarter, you know all that well with Mike McCarthy. He's not the best at, um, yeah. at that time. So I just think having the coaching changes with Peterson and Press Taylor and then um, Dave Caldwell on the other side, I think it would just be that big of a difference because um, we're going to have some close games. We've lost close games in the past, but I think with this new coaching staff, um, we're going to pull some of those tough games out and, I just think the energy's buzzing. Um, nobody expects us to go to the playoffs because the AFC's loaded, but I do expect us to double and almost triple our win total for this year. So I have us going eight and nine, being friendly, seven and ten, eight and nine. Like I haven't done it a lot, but this win total is one that kind of scared me a bit because I can definitely see six or seven, which is why I, I've stayed away from it. But I know that looking at the schedule, like the AFC West right off the bat, like if you steal one of those AFC West games, you consider that a massive win. Um, but the NFC East is completely gettable. We saw Dallas last year. They came out flat and lost to a Denver team that didn't have a great quarterback situation. So they can lose any given game. Same with the Eagles. They don't seem sold on on Hurts. And then you get the Commanders and you get the the Giants in there. So it's there's games that are there that are gettable. Even the Detroit, the Jets, like the, there's a lot of gettable games in there. So it's one that I stayed away from it and I haven't done that very much on the win total side of things, but it's because I really don't know what to expect. Like, is Lawrence going to look that much better? I think he is, but it, maybe it is that we've maybe overhyped him a bit and that scares me a bit just from a betting perspective. So it's kind of one of those ones that I've stayed away from, but overall, I think, I think the Jags, they're obviously going to be much improved. Like they're not going to win three games again, like they did last year, unless injuries play a factor. So that this is definitely going to be a much improved team. Now, you mentioned it earlier from a fantasy perspective that this is a team that there's not a lot here that you feel really comfortable drafting. Um, we're going to talk QB, running back, wide receiver, tight end, as we've done every single one of these previews. And starting at the QB position, where they have Trevor Lawrence is in an interesting spot. So he's kind of projected to be a 14th round guy. Um, it also depends on what kind of league you're in. A lot of people love to get the two QBs so they feel comfortable about it and they don't have to worry about bye weeks. Some leagues, guys are just rolling with starters and then playing the waiver wire if they have to because of injuries or whatever. But he's right behind Deshaun Watson. We don't know what's going to happen with his situation. 
we could find out as soon as tomorrow that he's not playing at all this year. And then obviously Lawrence is going to move up and he's just behind Jameis. And then he's ahead of Matt Ryan and Mac Jones. So I think he's in, he's in a good spot because you feel like there's still some upside there, especially with the improved weapons. And he could be a second QB option. What do you think about Lawrence from a fantasy perspective? Are you just staying away altogether? Or do you think there could be some value there? A hundred percent. I'm staying away all the way. Uh, you know, we have some new weapons, but Peterson, they they like to throw the ball, but they also like to establish a run game. And with us having our two-headed monster that we didn't have last year, well, we don't know what ETN is going to be yet, but I see us having a balanced attack and Lawrence not putting up Gotti numbers. Um, he's going to make those when he needs to, but the 30 points a week, 20 points a week, that's not – that's he's not your guy for that, I, in my opinion. Um, that's my guy. That's our quarterback, and I believe in him, but I don't see him putting up Gotti numbers. No, to me, if I'm drafting a guy like him, it's because I have an established guy like I drafted Brady, I drafted Rodgers, I drafted Stafford, and maybe I just want to draft him in case he takes a massive leap year two and then you can play him some of those matchups because there is a lot of favorable ones on the schedule, like when they play the Jets, when they play Detroit, Houston twice, you maybe want to throw him in in one of those games. But outside of that, yeah, I I wouldn't be going all in on a Trevor Lawrence, like punting QB down the road and then saying, yep, that's my guy. Like I want to have someone established ahead of him. The running back you talked about with Travis Etienne. So his ADP right now, they've got him going about mid fourth round. So if you're drafting him, you're looking at him being your second, maybe third running back. He's right in the category of a David Montgomery, Brees Hall, the rookie for the Jets, and then the Antonio Gibson range. So what do you think of Etienne? Do you think that he's the main back in this offense, or do you think Robinson also has some value where you can get him round nine or 10, and then you have him kind of as a flex guy? Um, For offense, I think it's going to be 50-50, but from a fantasy perspective, I take Etienne all day. Um, when Robinson, obviously he's not on the pup list, so he's looking to play early, but Etienne is going to get touches in the backfield and out of the backfield. Um, he's going to, from what I saw in the first quarter, I wouldn't say we ran up to death, but he had 10, 10 touches in the first quarter, which is not ideal. But from what it seems like, we're going to involve him in a running pass game. He has good hands for running back. So I'm taking Etienne all day. Uh, he, I didn't know he was going to be that high fourth round. I didn't expect him to be that high. Uh, he hasn't even played it down either. But I see the potential. I see the big playability. Um, I think he's going to be a, a touchdown machine this year. Um, so I'm I'm all good with Etienne, honestly. I did I like I said I didn't expect him to be that high, but I think he's going to be a workhorse in our offense. But it's just I like to see them play together first because Robinson obviously towards Achilles late in the season last year that he's not on the pup list, so he's looking to play you know early in the season. So we just have to see how that gels. But for now, I definitely go with Etienne. I think he's a big play waiting to happen. Um, I, I like his value. I think it also depends on how you do your draft. Like if, if you're going and, and this is like the first running back then you're taking, then I maybe go a bit safer of an option in a backfield where you know that like a Gibson's going to be the main back or, or Demont's going to be the main back. But if he's your second running back, even third running back, I feel really good about it because as you said, the upside potential of guy like Etienne in this office is very high. Um, Robinson. Yeah, I agree. I, I haven't seen him on the pup list. It looks like they're going to hold him out for maybe another week or two before they maybe give him some snaps, but Robinson that late, I would maybe take as a flyer just because I don't like drafting a, a guy like Madison where I'm just hoping for a Dalvin injury. Like I think that Robinson will still, uh, play a factor in the offense. Now the wide receiver side of things, it gets a little bit more muddy because Christian Kirk, he's about a ninth round guy right now, maybe 10th round. Um, the range that he's going in is Alan Lazard, who looks like he's going to be the number one in Green Bay. You got Robert Woods that's going to be the number one likely in Tennessee, but he's coming off the injury. And then he's just ahead of guys like Claypool, 
Uh, so what do you think of the range of where Kirk is at? Do you like him more than some of those guys, or is there maybe some guys in there that you would much rather have on your fantasy team? Oh, man, that's a tough one. I think uh, for sure I think he's better than Alan Lazard. Robert Woods is solid when he's healthy, but in Green Bay, I feel like Aaron Rodgers is going to find him a new target. Like Obviously, going into the season, Lazard is number one, but I think um, maybe Amari Rodgers or Christian Watson, the guy they got in the second round, is going to show up. I know Sammy's old, but – I think Aaron Rodgers with Devontae going, he's not going to just lock in on one guy. Alan Lazard is not Devontae. He's not going to win those one-on-one matchups like Devontae is. So I think he's going to look to spread the ball around. And for that reason, I would take Kirk ahead of him. And and Tennessee is tough because A.J. Brown's going Burks. I don't know if he's going to be a starter day one. He probably will, but they don't really have much but Robert Woods now that I'm thinking about it. And I know they're, you know, pro-style offense. They're going to do a lot of play action. That's a tough one. I think – to start off now, I would go with Robert Woods because, like I said, the Jags have a lot of offseason additions, and Trevor Lawrence is not the type to just lock in on one guy. So he's going to spread the ball around. And I think in Tennessee, he's one of their only options. So I would see him getting a lot more targets and a lot more yards. Um, to start, I, I think I think Lazard early on is going to see some stuff, at least while Tunyon's out, because it looks like he's going to miss the first week or two. Um, but once he comes back, I think Tunyon could become like, Roger's favorite target. We saw him develop a lot of chemistry with him over the last couple of years. Yeah. And then, as you said, I like guys like Watson in that offense, like even Watkins, like it's an offense that I'm staying away from unless I'm taking a late flyer on like a Christian Watson, hoping that he has a great rookie year. But I, I do like Kirk ahead of Lazard and I would agree on the woods point. Like there's not a lot there. So I would rather take a chance on Robert Woods who prior to the injury is a fourth, fifth round wide receiver in most drafts. So I think there is a lot of upside there. Um, maybe the late flyer on Marvin Jones. I talked about it on an earlier episode where I think we all in fantasy football have a, I either got Marvin Jones or I Marvin Jones somebody by starting him at the flex one week. And then he goes for 152 touchdowns. But I don't know if I'm drafting him this year. I think he's just a guy that, man, if an injury happens or the waiver wire comes around and you see that name, then you really contemplate it because you know what he could do. It's just whether or not he does it. So would you take any other wide receiver in this offense, or do you think it's kind of Christian Kirk or bust? My sleeper pick is going to be Evan Ingram as a flex. I know we have Arnold, but if he can get his hands together, I know Trevor Lawrence likes having an athletic tight end. Like, he, all the tools are there, so he just has to put it together. I know this is like his, what, fifth year, fourth year, so it's kind of hard to tell him to put it together this late in his career, but I'm going to go Kirk. I'm just go Kirk. That's the only other guy I can see breaking out, though. Marvin Jones and Zay Jones, we have a lot of receivers to to spread the ball around to. And there's only one football to go around. So I'm going to go with the number one guy, the guy we paid the money, all the big money to. Um, I think it has yeah. to be Kirk. On the Ingram side, like when you look at where he's going, like he's in the Austin Hooper, Tanyan range, Tanyan more so because of the injury. But Evan Ingram, I think it's worth a late flyer, especially if you do punt tight end down the road. Um, maybe you stash him, see what he does the first couple weeks, and then if he's not doing much in the offense, then you maybe just drop him altogether. But I do still think that there's some upside there. Like, we're talking about a guy that a couple years ago you're drafting in, like, the sixth, seventh round in fantasy, so I don't think that he's going to be as bad as he was with the Giants. I think he'll see we'll see maybe a little bit of a resurgence. It's just how far that resurgence is going to be, but uh thad thanks so much for coming on the show man i really appreciate you coming on first time guest um tell the folks where they can find your work at home and give me what your expectations for jacksonville are this year yeah of course man i appreciate you having me on look forward to coming back on sometime during the season um 
You can follow me on Jelani's podcast at What the Game Means to Me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Um, we took a little break with me going out of town, but uh, we're going to be ramping up the football content probably weekly or two times a week. Um, and just excited to to get back to it. This is my favorite time of the year. I know most of the network likes basketball, but I'm a football guy 100%. So this time through January is my favorite time of the year. So just looking forward to it and looking forward to see what my team could do. And expectations. This might sound a little weak and a little soft, but us for us to just compete, honestly. Um, every Sunday when I'm getting ready for the game, you know, as being a Jaguars fan or a real hardcore football fan, like your team losing on Sunday or getting blown out can really mess up your week, honestly. Kind of makes me go into the week just kind of annoyed. But just looking for us to compete, look like we belong. Um, obviously, I want to win all the games that we can't, but us getting blown out 38-7 to 7, look like we have no fight in us. Uh, that's something I don't want to see. But just, you know, we had a lot of turnover on this roster. Um, it's time to put it together. You know, after the 2017-18 season, I thought we were going to be right back. But obviously, that wasn't the case, and it hasn't been anywhere close since. So I just want our team to uh, come out and compete, honestly. You know, um, a lot of a lot of different acquisitions we've made, and it's time to put it together. Um, we have the coach. We have the quarterback, I think. And we have a lot of pieces around them that you need to have a successful uh, NFL program. I mean, NFL team. So. Just looking for my team to compete and execute on a different level. Um, execution is the biggest thing in the NFL, and hopefully we can do that um, this year. So just looking forward to a successful 2022 season. Even if we don't make the playoffs, let's go in 8-9 or 7-10. It's a jump. So I'm, look, I'm just looking for steady improvement, man. It's funny that you mentioned Jelani because when I asked him what his expectations for the Falcons were, it was to compete. And it, and it was the exact, the exact same point of like, look, I don't want to get blown out 38 to seven on Sunday. Like I, I don't want it to be that. I just want to see my team compete. Um, maybe a little bit less upside in that Falcons team, but um, definitely yeah. I do think that six, seven wins, I, I'm, Eight would be best case scenario. I think that's realistic for Jacksonville this year. I don't think they're going to be the worst team in the league this year. Um, and especially like I was on Cole's show yesterday, we talked about worst odds in Jacksonville never crossed my mind. So, um, I am hopeful for the Jags hope that they have a good season and, and being in the AFC South, I think they have the potential to do so, but thank you everyone who tunes in and listens to our show every single day, drop a five-star review on Apple and Spotify really helps us grow. And, uh, we'll see you guys tomorrow for the daily competitive hedge podcast.